Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I just think that they know I'm, I've got momentum. They know I'm, I'm rising in the polls. Uh, they know that I'm a threat, and this time they're going to try to attack me personally as opposed to challenge me on the issues. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former Chicago Public School CEO Paul Vallis, one of nine candidates for mayor of Chicago in an election that is just over two weeks away. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I think you need to start wearing a flak jacket if you <laughs> haven't already. Boy, have you been taking incoming fire political shots lately. What's this all about? Well, I'm the front runner. That's the reason. My wife said, stop complaining. Four years ago, <laughs> no one was paying attention to you. So at the end of the day, that's 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 the uh, that's the 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 front runner status uh, expectation. You're going to get stuck getting flack. You need a thick hide, I think. No. Well, listen, I, after after going to New Orleans to rebuild schools after uh, after Hurricane Katrina and then going to Haiti 40 times after probably the most devastating earthquake uh, in probably modern history, um, my hide is pretty thick. I mean, I, I like to think that I can withstand just about anything. Let's take some of these attacks one by one. The latest one is about your residency. And we all remember yeah. how important that was in 2011 when Rahm Emanuel came home from Washington to run for mayor of Chicago. And he ended up in a residency battle that went all the way to the U. Uh, I'm sorry, not the U.S., the Illinois Supreme Court. He was knocked off the ballot and then put back on. WTTW reporters Heather Sharon and Paris Schutz, who I respect both of them, reported this week that you have claimed a home in South Suburban Palos Heights as your legal residence since 2009, according to their documents. And it raises questions about your residency. They say you've registered to vote in Chicago at an apartment in Bridgeport for less than a year. Now, you say you live in Chicago and your wife, Sharon, whom I believe still works for TSA, lives in Palos Heights to care for her elderly parents and your 93-year-old mother. That sounds strange to most married couples. Well, married couples sometimes stay married because they make certain arrangements. First of all, let me respond to the residency thing. As you well know, I actually... Moved from Bridge, I, I moved from uh, Lincoln Park to Bridgeport. I, so at the end of the day, uh, and I made that move because during COVID, my dad went into home hospice. So for about a year, I was taking care of my father and mother, by the way, uh, because my dad eventually passed. So when I went back, moved back to the city, I moved to Bridgeport. But I, I have always, my wife and I have lived apart really since we returned from Philadelphia. When I came from when when I left Philadelphia to go to New Orleans, 
after Hurricane Katrina, uh, my wife did not want to go with me. She wanted to move back uh, to where she was most comfortable. And, and she bought a home right next to her aged parents in the same, uh, the same house where she grew up. So she wanted to return to her neighborhood. My kids were still relatively young. And uh, and she felt that that's where she that's where she should she could be most easily supported. So uh, and I went off to New Orleans. And as you know, Fran, I lived in New Orleans for four years. Incidentally, my oldest boy, Polly, eventually went down there to live with me. And then, of course, my younger boy, Gus, who passed away, who had chronic drug addictions, went to live with me, too. Uh, I, of course, then went to uh, when I began to do my international work, I then went to Haiti and Chile and. And uh, Gus followed me there. And then when I took over the school district in Bridgeport, I went to Bridgeport. So I've always lived where I've worked with. And this has been our understanding. You know, I wanted my wife to be in her most comfortable setting uh, with her friends and family, people she had grown up with. While she allowed me to go off and to do what I do, which is basically, you know, uh, rescues, uh, uh, turnaround projects, you know, crisis management so it's something that i've always done but how do you explain how do you explain that when you contributed 250 dollars to now secretary of state alexi Janulius, that you listed your palos heights address as your home well that's because sharon pays all the bills so all the bills all my bills go to sharon sharon pays the bills we have one credit card that's her credit card i've always besides besides going off and living away and living where I've always where I've always worked, uh, I've always sent my checks home, and and uh, she has always handled the family uh, finances and, and the family in uh, the family credit card. So that's a simple matter of her paying the bills. I, you know, you I mean, also use the payloads address for your consulting business. Well, again, at that time when I did the consulting business. When we had returned from 2017 and we incorporated, that was back in 2017. So that was the, you know, where I, where I, you know, where I identify my consulting location, you know, there's a lot of people like originally we had incorporated into Delaware. So we actually used the Delaware address for obviously for tax purposes. But the bottom line is, is this, I've always lived where I've worked and I live in Chicago. My wife has elected to stay in the suburbs. She not only has two parents who are 89 years old and obviously have their own health care issues that she ha- that they have to address with, but she also has my 94-year-old mother, uh, who she's known actually longer than me, having grown up in my family's restaurant. And, you know, they she really takes care of those three. And, you know, they're not going to be moving uh, into uh, in, into a retirement home, or for that matter, a nursing home anytime soon. They want to be comfortable, and she wants to be comfortable. And she's been more than supportive of me living in New Orleans, me living in Bridgeport, Connecticut, me living in Dallas for a while when I was doing work out there, or for that matter, for that matter, uh, me living uh, me living in um, in in Chicago. And so this is just, this all sounds to me like a residency challenge waiting to happen. Are you prepared for that? Well, there is no residency challenge, none well, at all. But you're prepared to defend yourself against one if there is one. Well, I. Well, first of all, I mean, I'm a we legal saw resident. that in 2011. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, they, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be no residency issue, which is why there, 
they're trying other angles. For example, WTTW just made a monumental mistake claiming that my wife had claimed two homestead exemptions when they when they were actually counting the homestead exemption that was claimed by the uh, by the uh, owners of our property uh, who had sold the property to us, went out, built a home in Monique, claimed the exemption, and they mistakenly counted that as a second e- e- exemption. So in effect, you know, they actually ran the story despite the fact that we pointed out that they were making an error. But, uh, you know, we got the you know, we got the word last night just before the debate uh, that uh, five minutes before the debate that they were going to run a story that they wanted to do an interview with me. And we pointed out that they were making a mistake. So there's been a pattern of this. If you remember about a, about a year ago, a, a story broke and then was retracted that I had registered as a Republican, that I voted in the Republican primary. And, and they ran the story before realizing that, that the secretary of state's office had actually made a mistake. There was, there was an address. All right, let's move on because we have other controversies to get to. This one hits home. Your son, a police officer in San Antonio, Texas, was one of three San Antonio officers involved in the fatal shooting of a black man last March, 28-year-old Kevin Johnson. What has your son told you about this incident and why is it coming up now? Well, first of all, I don't comment on my son's work. All I know is my son's a tactical officer in San Antonio, and he isn't goes. He's put in harm's way practically every single day. They were involved in the shooting, and they they were cleared, and all the officers were returned to duty. That's it. That's and that's all I'm going to comment on. Uh, as for the issue of police accountability, I've always been the strongest. Well, wait a second, Paul. Paul, I'm sure that your son, given the trauma of a shooting on duty and what that does to an officer. He had to have called you up and said, dad, here's what happened. What did he tell you happened? Yeah, friend, friend, I'm not going to discuss my son's line of work. My, my conversations with my son, what he tells me in private, his private pain, whether it's, uh, whether it's my, uh, whether it's my middle boy, who's a tactical officer, on very dangerous assignments in San Antonio, or my older boy was a combat medic for five years in Afghanistan and certainly went through his own post-traumatic stress. I'm, I'm just not going to get it. It's not fair for me to talk about my sons. I'm not. That's a private matter. That's a family ma- matter. My f- son is an outstanding police officer uh, who has a exemplary record and and he was cleared and they were returned to duty. And that's really all I'm going to say on the matter. Why is this coming up now? They're trying to tar and feather you with an event that sounds maybe to some people cursory like Laquan McDonald. You know, it, it's obvious I'm in the lead. This is the way this is what the organization does. This is what the machine does. Notice all the attacks on me are are unrelated to my policy, to my initiatives. I've articulated a very clear plan on how, how to make Chicago safe. They want to avoid discussing that plan or deba- debating me on these issues. I talked about the catastrophic consequences of school closings in terms of just record increases in murders of school age youth and serious crimes, including murder and shootings and carjackings committed by school age youth. They don't want to talk about that. I've articulated I've raised questions about why the schools why the schools are 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 not are not doing what they need to do to make up for the damage done when they were shut down during COVID or or 
what they should be doing to reclaim these kids that are now on the streets uh, committing crimes. They don't want to have a discussion on this. You know, I've talked about the $900 million in property tax increases and a budget that's out of control or a CTA that has 50% of its its riders claiming that that the CTA is unsafe and that is on the verge of post-election, post-COVID bankruptcy. And they don't want to talk about those issues. They want to look for personal issues. Oh, he's not a resident when he really is. Or, you know, they want to critique something, uh, you know, that that happened, uh, you know, uh, involving my son uh, that we that he was cleared, that he was cleared on. So this is this is all about I'm the front runner. It's obvious they don't want to take me on on the issues. Um, I'm I'm generating increasing support across the city. I'm certainly raising, uh, you know, enough in in terms of campaign funds uh, to stay on TV and to get my message across. And this is what they're going to have to resort to. And I imagine that they're going to continue or it'll probably get worse before the uh, before the primary date. Let's move on from that and then talk about something that has your voice involved in it. You are under attack from Chewy Garcia and Lori Lightfoot, who they call you a fake Democrat who is in reality an anti-abortion, pro-voucher, Republican, and a threat to women's rights and workers' rights and funding for public schools. They are pulling from an interview that you did in 2008 or 2009 with conservative talk show host Jeff Berkowitz. In that interview, you described yourself as more of a Republican than a Democrat. You said you would take a Republican ballot in the next primary election and that if you ran again for political office, you would run as a Republican. You also said you were adamantly opposed to abortion. These are your words. How do you explain them? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, what they did was they took splices of that interview. If you listen to that interview, I I say early on in that interview that I was uh, that I was uh, a long time unabashed, uncompromising supporter of women's reproductive rights. I spoke specifically to my support for Roe versus Wade. The question of personal religious convictions is unrelated to my public position supporting supporting uh, women's reproductive rights. I mean, what my personal faith is, it's like asking Joe Biden as a Catholic, you know, are you are you for uh, are you for abortion or whatever? I mean, the bottom line is or Rich Daly or Ed Burke or Mike Madigan. These are all politicians. Yeah, these are all politicians, devout Catholics. Fran, but let me point out that if you, you know, the question on women's reproductive rights, I made clear very on early, early in the interview. If you listen to that entire interview, I make it clear because because he says, well, you would have trouble running as a Republican because of your position on choice. And I said, absolutely. I, I said, I'm a supporter of Roe versus Wade, et cetera. We then at the end of the interview got into the issue of personal of personal religious convictions. OK, secondly, we were talking the, the question about running as a Republican. The, the question was what whether or not you could at the time, if you remember, there was there was, uh, the Cook County, uh, uh, the election for Cook County board president was very controversial because John Strozier as you know, uh, had had run. He was running for re-election when he was, in effect, incapacitated. And the yes. party did everything they could to block Force Claypool. 
uh, from winning. And then, of course, uh, he shortly died afterwards. And then, of course, they replaced him. So the question was, how, you know, uh, how can you challenge the democratic political organization? You know, you can literally in order to change that office, you literally either have to run as a as a um, independent or you have to run as a Republican. And if you remember, I think Carol Marine had actually done an article basically saying about, you know, Valor should run as a Republican if he was going to challenge, if he's going to challenge the current power structure in Cook County. The, the fact remains, I declined to run as a Republican. In fact, Forrest Claypool ended up running the next election, if you remember, as an independent. I declined to run as a Republican. And obviously when, to, when, it, uh, when Tony Prankwickle announced, I had known Tony Prankwickle for many years and Tony, Tony had, been, had been my friend and, uh, and, uh, and, and in the city council, I worked closely with her. So, you know, so I. All right. You know, it's so not I, a crime. Oh, it's not a crime to be conservative or to be a Republican, even though it might be somewhat inconvenient in a blue city like Chicago and a blue state like Illinois. But is part of you angry that you have to explain away being a conservative? more conservative than the field? No, not really. Look, uh, you know, I've always been able to cross both sides of the aisle, being a product of uh, of the uh, of, of the Illinois State Senate when Phil Rock was president. Of course, I worked with Don Clark Netsch. They taught me the importance of working both sides of the aisle. You had elections and then you had to get things done. I mean, when I was in New Orleans, I, you know, I negotiated a, the largest FEMA settlement in history for a school district with the Republican Bush administration. I was able to do that because I could cross good side. I could cross the other side of the aisle because I could treat the other side with respect because I found a way to, to, to broker compromises. And, you know, Lori put something uh, on um, uh, up on her Facebook or whatever, claiming that I had said in 2009 that I get along with Republicans. And it was interesting because I did it in a Sun-Times interview where, where I was talking about the success of my being able to secure almost a $2 billion FEMA settlement with the, uh, with the, uh, with the, with the Bush, with the Bush uh, White House. So, you know, I, I'm, my views, my views on public safety, um, are they Republican views? Are they conservative views? I am a strong advocate for public safety. If some people feel that my desire to ensure that the police have the resources and support they need or if it, and that they are being supported, proactive police seen as being supported with accountability. And, and that if I believe that uh, being integrity has to be the number one priority, uh, if people view that as being too conservative, well, then then they're going to call me whatever they're going to call me. Or if people think that uh, that uh, just Republicans have a monopoly on on good ideas when it comes to how to rein in property taxes and how to basically stop driving people out of their homes with higher taxes and fees. I mean, you know, call me whatever you're going to call me. I just think that they know I'm, I've got momentum. They know I'm, I'm rising in the polls. Uh, they know that I'm a threat and this time they're going to try to attack me personally as opposed to challenge me on the issues because you've listened now, to that. Lori, Life, Lori Lightfoot claims and has claimed repeatedly that you are taking your marching orders, as she put it, from John Catanzara, the, the president of the Fraternal Order of Police, who has done battle with Lightfoot over all things law enforcement, 
law enforcement, the man who Lightfoot calls a racist. And I have to say that during the battle over the vaccine, Catanzara did make a a very controversial remark to the Sun-Times, to me. He said, this ain't Nazi effing Germany where they say step into the effing showers. And then he had to apologize. How can you be close to a guy or accept an endorsement from a union who led by a president like that? Well, first of all, I negotiated the police contract on behalf of the police. And I was invited in to negotiate the contract in part because had there not been a contract settlement, um, as many as 2,500 police officers would have retired. And imagine where we'd be now. We're already 1,700 down from where we were, we were in, in 2019. So, so being asked by police officers to come in and to try to broker a contract, and as you well know, and you reported on this, I did it for no pay, and and obviously I was, uh, uh, you know, I did it in part because of my longtime relationship with Jim Francis, the city's chief negotiator, who had negotiated my contract. So, so I came in to basically, you know, literally get the police a contract uh, to stop a massive exodus that would have occurred if that contract had not happened, had had not been approved. Uh, we also included in that contract all the accountability provisions. That the that the police reform advocates were clamoring for, and the same those same provisions that have been included in the sergeant's contract. So I was able to achieve what Rahm Emanuel and Lori Lightfoot were unable to achieve. Now I don't get to pick who the head of the uh, FOP Fraternal Order Police Union is, just as I'm going to have to negotiate with the Chicago Teachers Union, and I'm not going to be able to pick who I'm going to negotiate. I'm going to have to negotiate with Stacey Davis Gates and I'm going to have to negotiate uh, with, uh, uh, you know, with Brandon Johnson. You know, I don't get to pick the union leaders. My Did you say by- something to Katanzara when you heard what he had said to me about comparing this to Nazi Germany? Well, first of all, I have always criticized him when he, he, has, he has said things that were outrageous. Uh, whether it was that or whether it was the his initial comments on the, uh, you know, you know, on the insurrection. So, you know, so, yes, in I, private, I, I, in private, you did that. Yeah. And what did he say he to you? Did. Well, he, he I think he admitted he made a mistake in his conversation with you. And as you remember, and you can go back and look at my comments and my posts on January 6th uh, after after the insurrection, I think they were pretty pointed. And I was pretty, you know, I was pretty aggressive about condemning uh, what had happened and doing it and doing it almost almost immediately uh, after it had occurred. But he then went back and he changed his remarks and he retracted his remarks, if you recall. So the bottom line is, yes, I mean, my approach is to lecture people and and to criticize people when I think that they have been out of line. But the bottom line is, I think what I was able to demonstrate and let me point out that. Uh, the FOP, they vote on who to endorse. Okay, the rank and file determine who they vote they on their president, and they're voting now again. And no, no, do you support Bob Bartlett, who says that Catanzaro is a disaster, who has hurt his own members with his intemperate remarks? Thing, the absolute worst thing that I can do is to get involved in union elections. Absolute worst thing. You know, it's absolute worst thing is for me to go in and oppose a specific candidate. Who, whether it's Bartlett or whether it's Captain Zara, uh, 
who would then win, and then I would have to negotiate with that individual. So I'm not going to get involved. You've also been attacked for your record at the public schools in New Orleans and Philadelphia and Bridgeport and Chicago. Your opponents say that you privatized public schools, that you eliminated union jobs, that you favor vouchers, which you say you do, and charters at the expense of public workers, and that you would be a disaster, as Stacey Davis Gates and Brandon Johnson have said. Well, you know, and, first that, of all, oh, and that you also had pension holidays that that set yeah. them up for a financial fall in Chicago. Well, how much? How long are you going to uh, give me <laughs> to respond to those things? Go no, ahead. seriously, Fran, you've been following me for uh, 30, 30 years. years. You know my record no more better than anyone. Better than anyone. Let me point out that back in 1995 at American Federation of Teachers convention, where I was asked to speak. I have I took the position and I said that I will not support in any initiative that expands educational choices for poor children. OK, so that's been my position. And I've always said that position and I've always restated that position. I have then. But I've also said at the same time, at the end of the day, 90 percent of the children are going to going to continue to be educated in in public schools. And so we have got to address that issue. And I said that back in 1995 and actually got applause. Of course, the union, the mood of the unions then were a little different than they are now. If you remember, Tom Reese was the union president. And I spoke at that conference or convention by invitation. So I've always been clear. You know, I don't want to deny poor children educational choices. That's why I support, as does Governor Pritzker, the scholarship program. All right, but you do, you have infuriated the CTU by proposing that scores of public school buildings now operating more than half empty forge partnerships with charters and parochial schools if they can't be turned into business incubators or occupational training centers for young adults. You've also proposed vouchers. This is what I propose. What I do is I support scholarships. I support the scholarship programs. I support the the expanded scholarship program that the governor now supports for poor kids, period. There's no reason why scholarships cannot be provided for children, for children who feel that they're, uh, or for the families of children who feel that their schools are failing or that their schools are unsafe. A report just came out. Uh, I think it was today, I think WirePoints reported that uh, less than one in 10 uh, children, black children in the Chicago public schools are computing or reading at proficiency. I mean, that's an absolute disaster. So parents should be afforded some choices. But let me point out that what I said about schools, when we ran the Chicago public schools, when Gary Chico and I ran the Chicago public schools, we opened about, I believe it was 15 charter schools Um, But we opened 30 non-charter schools because our enrollment was growing. We actually expanded the number of non-charter schools. And let me point out that charter schools are public schools, public schools, charter schools are non-profit, non-profit public schools. But what we also did was we expanded non-traditional public schools. And we also put magnet programs in neighborhood schools. Our programs were so popular and so effective that the enrollment, after 15 years of decline, enrollment had declined 115,000 students prior to uh, we taking responsibility for the schools. Our enrollment grew by 40,000 over the next seven years. Since then, 
since our departure, enrollment has declined by 125,000. And you know why? Because they stopped the push towards expanding, you know, high quality school choices because, you know, they, they, uh, you know, the labor peace that we have secured uh, with the Chicago Teachers Union that saw us negotiate uh, two consecutive con- uh, contracts on time, raising teacher salaries 21%. Eventually, the relationship between the Chicago Public Schools and future superintendents began to sour. I mean, we had you, great success in the Chicago Public Schools. You have infuriated the CTU with your proposals to lengthen the school day and school year and use TIF money, tax increment financing, surplus money to create a school voucher program. They don't want what that. I, what I have done is I basically proposed that we expand uh, we open the campuses through the dinner hour on the weekends over the summer, and we bring community-based organizations. We bring community-based organizations into the schools, um, be they park district organizations, be they faith-based organizations, uh, so that the kids can have a safe and secure place to go. Since 2019, there have been 200. What about vouchers? What about vouchers? Well, well, I believe that if parents want to send their kids to parochial and private schools because they believe that their local school is unsafe and is is not uh, is you know is not up to academic standard, I think parents should have the opportunity to participate in a scholarship program and receive tuition support to go to the schools of their choice. I also think I also think that that the uh, that the uh, tra- charter schools, which are traditional public schools, uh, and, and, and which serve a population that is 96% black and Latino, and I'm talking about I'm talking about children, I'm talking about uh, 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 56,000 children. I believe that uh, those schools that are that are forced uh, to operate in warehouses and substandard buildings. Because the Chicago Teachers Union blocks the use of even empty public school buildings, uh, the offering of even empty public school buildings uh, 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 to charter schools. I think those charter schools should have the ability to access public buildings so we can get we can get their children in high quality public buildings. We've got buildings that are closed. We got Manly High School has 67 kids and 27 faculty, uh, yet. Uh, a charter school in that area, a high-performing charter high school of 400 uh, um, kids being educated in a warehouse uh, cannot, won't be allowed to occupy Manly High School. Is that fair? These are public school dollars. These are public school kids. These are our children. These are overwhelmingly minority children. Look, you've got a Chicago Teachers Union that effectively shut down one of the poorest school districts in the country for 15 consecutive months with devastating consequences. 200 kids have been murdered since 19, since 2019, and that 95% of whom were not in school. And uh, uh, Chicago, the Chicago Crime Lab reported reported that uh, that uh, uh, 8% of the murder arrests for murders, 9% of the arrests for shootings, almost 50% of the arrests for carjackings were committed by school-age youth, 17 years and younger. 
95% uh, uh, of whom were not in school. So I think the Chicago Teachers Union has a lot to answer that. And, and it is also a teachers union that is effectively telling 56,000 kids, the families of 56,000 children, public school children, overwhelmingly black and Latino children, that they should not be entitled to be educated in, in, in vacant school buildings or in school buildings, public buildings, public school buildings that are that that are almost empty. They would rather those buildings. Brandon just Johnson, the CTU organizer and county commissioner, bankrolled by the CTU, could very well make it to the runoff. He is surging. He has charisma on the campaign trail. You can see it. You can feel it in his appearances. Do you think? Chicago voters are ready to elect a CTU organizer as their mayor. And if it is a matchup between you and him, what kind of choice would that provide? Well, look, right now I'm focusing on on the finish line before I start sizing up my opponents, you know, and and I would prefer not to, uh, you know, not to. Are uh, the voters of Chicago prepared to elect a CTU organizer as the mayor? I believe that the voters of Chicago are prepared to elect a mayor who puts public safety number one and who wants to ensure that the uh, that the police have the resources and support they need, as well as the accountability uh, uh, they they need to be an effective police department that uh, that that serves every community. I believe that the public is looking uh, for a mayor that's going to. That's going to to uh, not only, uh, you know, in, improve public schools by opening the campuses through the dinner on on weekends and over the holidays, uh, bringing community based programs to the campuses so that the kids have a safe and secure place to go. But I believe that that the public is going to support a candidate who wants to expand quality public school choices. And and that's the type of candidate I've always been. And finally. I, I believe that the public that the public is going to want to support a candidate who knows how to manage a multi-billion dollar enterprise, $28 billion. Brandon John, with the exception, well, we all, Lori Lightfoot already has a record and is a record of failure with the respects to Brandon Johnson and other candidates whose balanced multi-billion dollar budgets. I'm not talking about voting for them as a county commissioner, as a congressman, or for that matter, even as an alderman, who has gone in and actually uh, managed a multi-billion dollar budget, uh, allocated resources in an equitable way, negotiated collective bargaining agreements uh, with the teachers union across the board. So, so I think they're gonna vote for somebody who has the leadership to assemble the type of leadership team that can restore public safety uh, in Chicago uh, and 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 ensure all neighborhoods are safe, improve the quality of public education, and 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 get a handle on this uh, on this ever increasing uh, uh, property tax and, and fee and fine cycle that is driving uh, middle income taxpayers out of the city and is punishing the working poor. Paul Vallis, zip up your flat jacket because it's going to be a rough <laughs> two weeks, I'm sure. And oh. thank you for joining us. Good luck on the trail. And we will see Talk. you all next week. Talk to you later. Bye.
around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.